The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is a show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and all small businesses, and is heard all around the world every week. And we're in our third year. We started in 2011, and we're going strong. So thanks for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. We appreciate it. As you know, and I think I've said before, I travel a hell of a lot. I'm at about 5 million plus mile level on planes. That's 200 times around the world. It's, it's a fair bit. And I've visited 55 countries, I think. And while I admit that there's room for improvement in customer service in America, in general, it is a hell of a lot better than customer service anywhere else in the world, with the possible exception of Japan. I know people find that difficult to believe, but um, when I travel, I'm always glad to get back to the US and get the fantastic customer service that I think you get, and that's, of course, by comparison. But a hell of a lot of people complain to me, both at speech presentations and also through this radio program, about how bad they think customer service is in America. And the reality is that customer service has improved dramatically over the past 10 years, but customer expectation has increased a hell of a lot more. So while customer service is infinitely better, more and more people feel dissatisfied. And it's taken business a hell of a long time to get the message that when we phone a company, we don't want prompts. Thanks for calling. Press one. We don't want to press one. We want to talk to somebody. All the research I've seen says that people will accept one prompt dumb them, they start to get irritated with two prompts and then get really pissed off after that and yet companies still do it. Prompt, 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 prompt and by the time you get through the fourth or the fifth prompt, you are fed up. You don't want to do business with them anymore. Now, people like to talk to people or if they can't talk to a real person, they'll talk to an artificial intelligence avatar that's friendly, helpful, has all the answers. In many cases, you don't know these days. They don't want to be in Los Angeles talking to somebody 10,000 miles away who can't understand you in the first place, you can't understand them in return, and has no clue about the world that you're living in. 
I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I thought Liesl, uh last week, we got a great response to um, her discussion about artificial intelligence. You know, she told us that people like speaking to avatars and come away highly satisfied. In fact, people will talk to them longer than they talk to a real person. That's because they answer your questions, they're patient, and they don't get pissed off. The big problem with people is just that. They're people. They sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic for 20 miles on the 405. They've just had a fight with the kids. The husband didn't get home till 3 a.m. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to be nice. They are not happy people. (laughs) However, 90% of people do a fantastic job at delivering good service. But there does seem to be a major push towards improving customer service in America. More and more of my clients want either a speech to their team about the importance of customer service and all the things that they can do personally to improve it. Every person in a company can help improve the customer service. Or they hire us for a consultation to recommend improvements to their customer service. And the key to that is relatively simple. Find every single contact point with an internal customer or an external customer and work out how you can improve it, how you can make that interaction a wow. So people go away from that conversation going, that's fantastic, or that interaction going, that's fantastic. The consulting firm Forrester says that it expects a renewed focus on improving customer experience immediately. Now, this is very smart business. Advertising is an extremely expensive way to get new customers. In fact, it's 15 times more expensive to attract a new customer than it is to retain an existing one. And a very happy existing customer will tell all their friends, giving you great word of mouth and new customers that cost you essentially nothing to attract. Customers that are delighted with you will remain loyal to you. They're easy to upsell new products and services. They do business with you more often and they don't quibble about price, which enables you to increase your ROI. Equally as important, they enable you to decrease your marketing expenditure to attract new customers. Now, smart companies then put a proportion of the money they save on advertising or attracting new customers into retaining and delighting existing customers. So instead of expensive shotgun advertising, you can retain existing customers through very inexpensive emails, SMSs, special offers, um, video messages to phones, all of those things which cost extremely little. Not only that, you can have a one-on-one dialogue with a customer. This constantly increases your database of knowledge about that customer, making your targeting so much more effective. You can hone your message so much better to each specific customer. Over the past, past several months, we've seen a rise in the number of companies that have decided that, wow, there is a real connection between enjoyment and metrics like satisfaction. 
and Net Promoter Score, commonly called to as NPS. One would have thought it's obvious that when customers are happy with a product or service, they tend to be loyal and they probably mention their good experiences with all their friends. Isn't this especially the case when everybody's now using social media? I mean, they're using social media, they're using blogs, they go to websites to discuss every product they come in contact with and every experience they have. They go on to Facebook and whatever to tell you when they go to the bathroom, when they broke a heel in the street, all sorts of stuff. Doesn't it make sense that these people are also talking about great experiences? But they're also talking about lousy experiences. So if you give somebody lousy service, the whole world hears about it and very fast. It's always amazing to me just how stupid many corporate executives are. Research has told us for years that all decisions, all decisions, irrespective of what they are, are initially made emotionally. In my February newsletter, which started going out today, even though it's not February, shows how organised I am, which, incidentally, if you don't get, you should. I talk about a presentation I gave recently about the importance of building emotional connections in every single aspect of business. This was a high-level financial and technology audience, and they were blown away by the revelation of just how powerful a tool emotion is. To them, the product was everything and they believed that people bought based on logic. That's ridiculous. They don't and it's been shown over and over again by all sorts of research. And this is an example of just how out of touch with communication, sales and marketing techniques that many executives are. Second example, I was in Stockholm fairly recently, speaking to a board of directors and senior executives of one of the world's largest companies, and I was telling them about in, how in today's highly competitive, cluttered and media proliferated environment, brand wasn't worth a damn. I told them that the only thing that is important in this Im- environment is brand equity, and there's no question about that. The chairman of the board came up to me after the presentation over a drink and he said to me, I've never heard of brand equity before. We've never, ever had that discussed by our marketing team or by our board and I'm blown away. You know, could you come back and talk to us about brand equity? So it was great for me because I picked up a new client, but it just shows how out of step some people in major companies Ah, and if the people in big companies are out of step, then the people in small companies are even further out of step. Another example. I gave a present presentation just recently again in Las Vegas to a group of independent franchisees of a big company. Everywhere you drive in America, you pass one of them on every second block. They had made quite a substantial, they had quite a lot of competitors out there. It was, a, it was a pretty competitive market. And they were having difficulty maintaining market share. I told them that the most critical element in growing market share is to clearly understand precisely what it is 
that the customer wants to get from you. And it sure as hell ain't the product. They can buy the product anywhere. For them to come to you, there's got to be something beyond the product. And too many senior executives believe that there's little difference between the products they sell and the products their competitors sell. So therefore, it's very difficult to differentiate yourself. That is absolute rubbish. Even if you have exactly the same product as your competitor, you can still clearly differentiate yourself because it's not the product that your customers are buying. Until you can wrap your mind around that fact, you will never, ever be successful. They're buying something else. Domino's. Domino's sales went through the roof because of their CPB, 30 minutes or it's free. Nothing to do with bloody pizzas, nothing to do with hot, nothing to do with good, nothing to do with anything except you're going to get it fast. And that was the most important thing. So you need to determine what it is that differentiates you from your competitors. And you'd think that this is a message that anyone in any management position would clearly understand. Of course, you'll often hear business executives and entrepreneurs, even some really dumbass marketing people, say that it's impossible to measure ROI on improving customer service and improving the overall customer experience. This is, once again, absolute unadulterated rubbish. We can measure ROI on improved customer service, on brand equity, on word of mouth, on all of those things without any problem. And I also find it remarkable that many executives see customer service as a cost center. You know, as a part of the company that costs money without bringing in revenue. That's ridiculous. Customer service is certainly not a cost center. It's a revenue generator. And in fact, can be the most effective revenue generator in any company. So many Executives just see it as something that they need to pay lip service to. That is folly. I can give you literally hundreds of examples across a very wide range of product categories where great customer service, clear differentiation from competitors and creating brand equity totally changed the fortune of the companies. And because companies don't know how to establish how to measure these three simple elements, they simply don't do it. What they don't realise, that only one person in ten, at best, will go and register a complaint. These are the ones the executives hear about. Oh, we sold 20 million products last year and we only had two complaints. Well, only a fraction of people complain. The 99% of people that don't complain simply go elsewhere. They do not come back. So many companies, instead of constantly seeking ways to improve service, often look for ways to decrease costs. This is an absolute sure way to kill your business. It leads to outsourcing, automated call centres, longer phone waits, fewer customer service representatives and so on. The result, pissed off customers. However, hopefully, things are changing. Each of the logical areas that I've mentioned, you know, they're all very easy and relatively inexpensive to implement. 
it's easy to quantify and qualify the results of those simple measurements. There are an increasing number of companies, for example, Apple Stores, Trader Joe's, Nordstrom's, Amazon, Zappos, and the list goes on and on and on, who are showing the way, giving great service and getting great results. And executives of other companies seem to be taking notice. Customer service needs to be awesome in a world where consumers are demanding more, where comparisons happen in real time where your good or bad service can be shared with millions in a matter of minutes and where loyalty is diminishing. Every CEO, CMO and even the CFO should put aside some time every week to listen to their customers. It would be an eye-opener for them and it would be the start of greatly increasing their company's customer service performance. But even if your customer service is great, you can't rest on your laurels because the customer will always demand more. Well, don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that's listening to the show, that's looking for tips on how to become more successful. Customer service is one of the major ones. And that's what we're here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you've got a question, please don't hesitate to email me directly at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or email you directly. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. If you want to sign up for my new newsletter, started going out yesterday, then bob at bobpritchard.com and we will send it to you. I'm Bob Pritchard and after the break, I'm going to talk to a friend of mine who epitomizes how focus, hard work, and determination will deliver you success. He's a gold medal winner, a great speaker in the middle of an American tour. And I'm Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs, in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we talk to many of the most successful people in the world. And what I found is that successful people, they're not born successful, they earn it. And luck, I often hear people say, God, you're lucky. Luck is where opportunity meets preparation. In business, in sports, in music, there's no such thing as luck. It's about working hard and you earn it. Now, this is the segment where we find out what characteristics make some people stand out from the rest of us. We've often talked on this program about the fact that one of the most important reasons people fail is because they lack persistence. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with a friend of mine who's a guy that's dubbed the luckiest gold medalist. But when you hear his story, it's one of persistence, and I guarantee you that if you think this guy's lucky, you will change your mind. Stephen Bradbury created history when he won Australia's first ever Winter Olympic gold medal. He's extremely dedicated and had a punishing training regime for 12 years. That's 12 years every day working your ass off from morning to night to get to be good at what you do. A race accident in 1994 led him to be impaled on a rival's skate. Now, I often watch people skating and I think, oh, God, I'd hate to run into those one of those skates. Well, what happens is... Stephen cut his leg so extensively that he lost four litres of blood and he required 111 stitches. Jesus. He was very lucky to survive that accident. Then a training mishap in the year 2000 broke his neck. And after six weeks in a halo brace, Stephen again fought his way back and 18 months later, had an Olympic gold medal hanging round his neck. Now, since retiring from the short track speed skating, the four-time Winter Olympian has become one of the most sought-after motivation speakers on the planet. Master of Ceremonies, a facilitator, an after-dinner speaker. He's great. I was on the same stage as him. I can't remember how long ago, two or three years ago, I think. And uh, the guy is fantastic. His remarkable and unlikely victory was achieved after a spectacular final lap spill took out his four rivals, including the legendary Apollo Ono. Stephen threw his arms up in disbelief and smiled, well, not smiled, grinned from ear to ear as he crossed the finishing line. I caught up with him in Chicago. He's doing a tour of America. He's all over the place. He's doing 10 or 12 or 15 cities or something. He's at a different city every day, and he is killing them. Stephen, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. How are you, mate? I'm doing very well, Bob. Yes, mate, good to hear uh, an Aussie accent having been on the road over here for a while. I'm I'm missing those vocal tones. Yeah, well, I'm not sure whether my audience, you know, we're a, a 24-hour, well, 23-hour-a-day business station that's all American accents, apart from this one, and... Uh, so far, well, hopefully they can understand us, eh? Yeah, it seems to be working. Well, I've been living here 25 years, so um, it's a testament to the fact that your accent never ever goes away. 
Um, now, in Australia, most people have heard of doing a Bradbury. Um, <laughs> it's just a saying that's sort of become part of the language. Can you explain to our American listeners what doing a Bradbury means? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, uh, fortunately, you gave a, a bit of my story away there in the uh, in the intro, Bob. So thanks for that. Doing a Bradbury, mate, I love it. It uh, it gets used <laughs> back home in political, financial, and and sporting circles. Yeah. Uh, it was actually front page uh, probably about six eight weeks ago on the uh, front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, big picture of me using doing a Bradbury to describe the Australian dollar. Right. The yen, the euro, the US dollar. They've all crashed over the last few years through the financial crisis, but no matter what we try back home, the Australian dollar, it just simply won't fall. So no, doing a Bradbury. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's actually in the uh, Australian slang dictionary back home now, and I suppose in short, uh, to answer your question, what does it mean? It means a lucky victory. But uh, there's a quote that I use in my presentations, and that's, when your moment to shine presents itself, will you be in position and prepared to be the next to do a Bradbury? Yeah, I, you know, I um, I'm not a great believer in luck, and I'm well, I don't believe in luck at all. People often say to me, "Geez, you know, businesses, it's um, a lot of luck in business." Well, bullshit. I don't believe that for a second. It just, it's not true. The people who work hard win. The people who don't work hard lose. It's that Agreed. simple. Um, does it annoy you when people tell you that you won only because you were lucky? Yeah, mate, I'm. I'm the first person to admit that I was incredibly lucky to win that Olympic gold medal. And in fact, I'm possibly the, the luckiest Olympic gold medalist in history. But I had to be in position to give myself a chance to win. You know, competing at four Olympics, training five hours a day, six days a week for 12 years, breaking my neck and getting my leg cut open and almost dying on the ice, that stuff's not lucky. You know, no, it's you, not. As you mentioned, you work hard enough for long enough, then eventually you make your own luck. And, you know, that, that question that you ask, does it annoy me when people ask? And, you know, I think it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And people ask that question, the people that ask that question have got a negative mindset. Yeah, and, I agree. you know, sometimes people say to me, geez, you're lucky, mate. But it doesn't annoy me because they're the p- people that are sitting on their couch doing nothing. Yeah, and in, in Australia, we call that the tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. You, well, you would know what that is. I do. Well, I have people, you know, I have people tell me I'm lucky. You know, I've worked my ass off for bloody 40 years and put yourself out there all the time. I mean, you know, you really put yourself out there. You got to an Olympic final, um, four Olympics. That's a hell of an achievement on its own. So, you know, people should be saying, mate, you made the final. That's sensational. Instead of saying, Jesus, you were lucky to win the gold medal. I mean, it's a whole different connotation, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you know, Bob, most people say it the way you said it. The question that you ask still seems to come up all the time, even though they're only the 1% of people that ask that question. There's still that 1% of people out there that you know, just seem to want to knock you down because yeah, you're that's successful. True. Yeah. So you won Olympic gold in 2002. It's a long time ago. And now you're one of the world's best and busiest motivational speakers. Did you ever think that you'd have a career as a motivational speaker? <laughs> yeah, uh Mate, I, I don't even like the term motivational speaker. It, no, I don't like it much either. It, it somehow it just sounds un-Australian. Uh, personally, I prefer to call myself a real-life speaker, but nobody knows what that is. Yeah. And, you know, after I won the gold medal, I never even imagined that there was a career option to be a motivational speaker. 
and uh, I started to get telephone calls from my agent and I couldn't even believe that I had an agent you know I'm a, yeah. a speed skater from Brisbane not exactly the centre of the of the uh, speed skating universe of so I had no idea why I would even need an agent but anyway Rob was his name and he, he called me up and he said Steve they've asked you to come and speak at the annual Retrovision conference in Adelaide Retrovision was a large television and electrical chain back in Australia and he said yeah they'll pay you five grand I said Rob are you serious that's what I make in a year yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said yes yeah, they've asked you to speak for 45 minutes and I said what in a row yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, that's where it started for me, and a couple of years later, I realised that it might be a career option. So I started to to hone my skills, working with a speechwriter and a comedian. And today, I've got over six hundred presentations under my belt. I love it. If you want to see any more, have a look at stephenbrabery dot com. Yeah, you know, I think that that's that's the thing. You know, the there's a lot of speakers in this planet. I think there's fifty thousand in America. Wow. Only a few of them work at their craft you know you you went out you got just got yourself a, a a trainer got yourself a comedian to help you hone your presentations and that's what it takes if you you know i've done stacks of training and um i did a, a whole i don't know about a year with ron tacky in australia who's an american um speech trainer and just the way to move on stage and just the way to phrase things and how to control your voice i mean that's all training and then people say jesus you're a lucky speaker you only got the bloody thing because you were a lucky skater well you've got a lot more presentations than me bob i might be able to learn a, a thing or two from you <laughs> but that's but that's true though you know you've become a successful motivational speaker because you've worked your ass off at being a speaker so it's not the fact that you were lucky as a skater which wasn't true that made you lucky to become a speaker. You, you've worked at it, and, and that's what it takes, and that's the message that I, I try all the time to get through to people listening to the show. You've got to be dedicated. You've got to really keep learning, and you've got to get out there and be as persistent as buggery. If you don't, you fail. Yeah, that, for me, that was something that, that I was fortunate enough to learn as a young bloke uh, coming up through the ranks in speed skating. My, my dad used to force me to go running and go cycling with him when I was 13, 14 years of age to, yeah. to get me fit because he could see that I was talented. And when I was 13, 14, I bloody hated him for it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But um, I certainly thank him for it now, that's for sure, because he instilled yeah. a work ethic in me. Yeah. So when you speak, what's the main takeout from your speech? What do you want people to walk out the door thinking, geez, that guy was really good. Um, what have I learnt from that? Yeah, well, I'd like to think that I could provide some entertainment and motivation to begin with, but um, the, the main theme of my presentation is that passion, persistence, and teamwork leads to success. And teamwork, I think, is, is the most crucial one. Uh, you've got to surround yourself with people who are experts in their chosen field. Now, the, the jack of all trades in, in today's world, I'm, I'm not quite sure if he exists anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, during my racing career, I had... My team, my coach, my teammates, my physio, my equipment manager, my parents, and take away any of those people and I wouldn't have won the gold medal. Yeah. yeah. And I no. think, uh, you know, sometimes back in my skating days, the people around me, they provided me with those little extra one percenters that I wasn't always smart enough to get that up for myself. Yeah. And that was only sometimes. Yeah. And I'm a bit smarter now and I think I've learned from that in my business. I don't wait for other people to give me those one percenters now. I go out and find them myself. I look for solutions to problems 
and, and hunt for the people to help me find it. And it's rewarding, you know, finding the solutions, getting the answers and, and building my team. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and it is about using other people. None of us are an island. We all, we all need to be surrounded by people that mentor us. Um, you know, I've had mentors for 30 years because I don't know everything. In fact, I know very little, really. Um, but there are a lot of people around me. I don't agree, Bob. <laughs> There's a lot of people around me who do know a lot of stuff, and, you know, you really learn from them. Um, now, as an athlete, you set goals. Um, I've spent a lot of time with athletes, and uh, they set long-term goals, and they also set incremental goals. You know, you don't wake up one morning. If you're Michael Phelps, you don't wake up today and say, in four years' time, I'm going to win the gold medal in the 100, and I'm going to swim whatever time it is. You sit there and you say, well, the winning time in four years' time is likely to be 45 seconds or whatever it is. Um, I'm currently swimming 51, so I will take it down in increments until I get there and I'm at the top of my game in four years. So why is setting goals so important, not only to athletes, but to anybody who's in business at all? Yeah, I think, I think goal setting is simply an important part of life. And as you mentioned, you've got to have the, the long-term goals, the medium-term goals, you know, even even down to the to the shorter ones sort of month by month. But yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people in this world have some pretty good plans in their head. Yep. Plans in your head, they get forgotten pretty quick. You need to have plans that are on paper and visible for you to see every day. You need to know what you're actually aiming for. And in my skating days, you know, part of the plan for me, first I struggled to get it in the morning because it was cold and I didn't want to go and ride 80 kilometres on my bike at 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I used to have a sign up on the ceiling and it read, this is the Olympics, get up. Yeah, that was the cool. first thing I saw when I opened my eyes because I knew that my competitors would be getting out of bed every day and if I didn't get up and I lose to them at the Olympics then I'm going to live with the regret and that word sucks no one wants regret no that's right You know, I, when I, speak, I speak to an audience these days I, I throw out a question and that question is are you getting up Yeah. And if you are you might as well do your bloody best while you're there I reckon no I agree I, agree. I you know I, I I say in my presentations that um, I can't run. I can't run for nuts. I'm a lousy runner. But if I'm standing in the middle of um, an Olympic stadium with um, the world's greatest sprinter, and I know where the finish line is and he doesn't, I will win. I don't care how <laughs> fast he can run. I am going to beat him. And it's true. If you know exactly where you're going to go, exactly where you're going to be tomorrow, exactly where you're going to be next month, and exactly where you want to be next year, you will win. It might take you a few goes, but you will win. Now, you've done over 600 presentations. You're currently doing 10 or 15 or whatever in, in the States and Canada. Um, you're obviously loving it. I can tell it. In, you know, you're, you're just one of those guys who loves life. You know, you're just one of those happy sort of Aussies that loves life. And you've been very successful doing it. And um, so what what keeps you doing it? What is it? Yeah, well, mate, Bobby, you could probably answer the question too. Uh, having done over 1,500 presentations yourself, that kind of pales me into insignificance a little bit. But the answer mate, I'm, a lot, question, I'm a lot older, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to the question, that's an easy one. It's, it's the adrenaline without a doubt. I love it. At the moment, I'm, as you mentioned, touring... North America with the JT Fox organization. I've done LA, Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Austin, Dallas, Tampa, 
the list goes on. And uh, I used to get that adrenaline rush through Olympic competition, but now I get it on stage. Uh, sometimes when I'm speaking, I can actually see it in the eyes of some of the people in the audience. I'm getting them fired up, they're getting me fired up, and the yeah. adrenaline's addictive. It's fuel for your soul, I love it. The adrenaline is amazing, isn't it? You know, you're, you're different than me, because off, off stage I'm, I'm fairly quiet, I guess, but um, when I get on stage, you, you, you know, the, the power kicks in and you just become a totally different person, and it is an amazing adrenaline rush. And uh, yeah, I love it too. And I, I don't do it for the money. I do it because just because I love it. I mean, the money's bloody handy. I've got to tell you. But um... certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> That's what keeps me coming back for more. It's the, it's the adrenaline rush. And, and over here in the states, I also enjoy a little bit of the American psyche. That a lot of people over here, they believe that they can actually be the best in the world. And yep. we kind of don't have that mindset back in Australia. You know, sometimes people are told, oh, you know, don't worry about doing that. It's too hard. You'll never be able to get there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I love that uh, be the best you can be sort of attitude that a lot of people here in the States have gotten. I'm loving the tour, and I'm keen to speak at every bloody conference in the USA. Yeah. Well, you know, I find it. I find the same thing. The thing that I love about America is that people are so positive. You know, people want you to succeed. They also help each other. I belong to a group in L.A. where... The key, there's, there's basically three, cre- three keys. Um, give each other credit, i.e. praise people inside the group. Secondly, um, give them work if you can give people work inside the group rather than going outside. And thirdly, um, share your, share your um, contact base. So if, if I need a contact that's ahead of a studio and one of the other members has, has got it, they'll give it to me. Uh, I went back to Australia um, for a couple of weeks just before Christmas, and I said, "Look, there's this great group in, a, in in America, and this is what they do." And everybody I spoke to said to me, "Yeah, everybody will give you credit, and everybody will um, um, use people inside the group, but nobody's going to give you any of their contact details. They just <laughs> won't share it. We're here that people will share it. People want you to be successful. We're in Australia. They don't want you to be successful. You know, I think." People in Australia get more pleasure out of people failing than they do out of um, out of seeing people succeed. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case with all of the population in Australia. That's for sure, but it's definitely definitely a percentage. And you know, it, it's that mindset that is a little bit different. And and I think by helping people when you can, it turns in a circle, and eventually Absolutely. it comes back to you. And the more you help people, the the, the more success comes your way. That's absolutely true. It's, you know, I've found that um, I, I say to everybody that, and, and even Aussies that come here, I say, you know, if I can help you, if I can give you contacts, if I can give you a database or two, or if I can give you whatever I can give you, I will. And it really spreads, and people people like it. They like respect you better for it, and they will help you. And you know, none of us are an island. We all need as much help as we can get, and uh, and the potential here is great you know it's just it's, everybody's so enthusiastic just about about business and, and achieving in in every walk of life now yeah, i think uh, most people have uh have probably seen the the secret the uh the dvd or the book yeah yep i, I think probably a lot more people in the u.s have seen that than uh, than have back home in australia and anyone that hasn't seen it i recommend it 
Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with you. So what what's your day today? Who are you speaking to today? Where? Mate, I'm, uh, I spoke in Chicago yesterday, and uh, I'm actually flying off to Dallas this afternoon. Uh, the company I'm working for, the Jates Fox organization, is doing yeah. a bunch of events around the country. They're uh, challenging people to make a million dollars over the next 18 months. And wow. it's a business keeping some success coaching and uh yeah, they're uh, trying to fire some, some people up to be successful in uh, in their ventures and help them along the way with their business and I'm kind of a little bit of a shortcut speaker who comes in and has a bit of punch to hold it. Oh, that's great. Stephen, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard show. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you again and uh I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Now, don't forget, next time you hit Los Angeles, call me. We will go and have a beer. Yeah, we probably we probably won't have a Foster's because Australians don't really drink that, do we? No, we don't. It's funny. <laughs> that, that's, that's a, that was a good marketing campaign over here because people don't drink it. They don't drink it in Australia, but over here, everybody thinks they do. Oh, the commercials are great. Yeah. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Stephen or book him for your next presentation, I can thoroughly recommend him. He is a great speaker, and I'm not just saying that off the top of my head. I have worked with him before, and we had a great deal of fun back then, and um, maybe you hire both of us. That'll be it. We'd have a hell of a day. And <laughs> so if you'd like to find out more about him, go to stephenbradbury.com. So Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, bradbury.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show in just a few moments. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Bob Pritchard, straight talking, no bullshit, tell it the way it is, business show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of Los Angeles. Now, many times on this program, I've discussed the need for entrepreneurs to really focus on their primary goal. That the only way to achieve this goal is to firstly work hard, 
Secondly, work hard. And finally, work hard. I've also said over and over again that the so-called luck that we hear attributed to some people, it only comes to people who prepare, focus and work hard. That's the reason that I love doing this interview with Stephen. Um, he didn't win the gold medal because all of his competition fell over. He won the gold medal because for 12 years of training, he focused on the goal and he worked seven hours a day, every day, to achieve it. That's not luck. That's preparation. And, uh, you know, I have people say to me, God, you're lucky. Um, all the things that you do, luck had nothing to do with it. I was about 40 years old when I packed up in Australia where I was doing really well, came to America, um, didn't know much, didn't have many people that I knew here. And um, it's not about luck. You work your butt off, take some chances, bite off more than you can chew, chew like hell, and hope to hell you make it. And you know the reality is that most people who do that do make it. Going back to um, Stephen, you know, it wasn't luck. He got to the final, the final of Olympic Games, and he didn't fall over. He did exactly what you were supposed to do if you want to win the gold medal. No luck involved. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone involved in business. You know, one thing that I think is amazing about speaking to business people all over the planet, and at last count I've spoken in, I think, 53 countries, is that during question time, no matter where you are in the world, you always get the same questions. And I think the reason that the Bob Pritchard Radio Show has become popular globally is because the advice and expertise that we broadcast each week relates to every business, whether it's large, whether it's small, whether it's a startup, or whether it's a mature business. The same rules apply. My first email today is for Alastair Long from Jacksonville in Florida who writes, Dear Bob, I really love your show. There is always a lot of information for everyone. I also bought the Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets audio book. You have great guests. And last week, the woman who spoke about artificial intelligence was particularly interesting. And a lot of it was over my head. <laughs> Mine too. Can you explain to me simply what the pros and cons are of artificial intelligence in general business? Well, Alastair, the lady's name was Liesl Kappa. She's bloody smart. I've had several conversations with her, and I'm probably much more confused than you are. She is one very bright lady. After a little research, though, I can tell you that intelligence is defined as the ability of an individual to adapt his or her behavior to new circumstances. Now, human intelligence is not a single ability, but it's a composite of Abilities like learning, reasoning, problem solving, perception, understanding of language, all of those things. John McCarthy coined the term artificial intelligence in 1956. He defined artificial intelligence as 
as the science and engineering of making intelligent machines which can perceive, learn and reason like humans. However, general intelligence is the long-term goal because this incorporates other aspects like social intelligence, judgment, common sense, robotics and self-awareness. Of course, you could train most machines to have more of that than most people. You've only got to look at the US Congress. Um, researchers dream of bringing machines that have the capacity for wisdom and the ability to feel. Again, they could start with Congress. The positive aspects of artificial intelligence in business are that intelligent machines can replace humans in a whole bunch of areas of work. They can do repetitive tasks and things that are really painstaking, which have long been carried out unhappily by humans. And owing to the intelligence program in them, they can shoulder responsibility also. They can be made to manage themselves and their time to complete the assigned tasks. Now, the emotions that often intercept rational thinking of a human being um, are not a hindrance for artificial thinkers. Lacking emotion, artificial intelligence avatars can think logically and make the right decisions. Sentiment, it's associated with moods that affect human efficiency, not the case with avatars. Therefore, artificial intelligence can be utilised in the completion of repetitive and time-consuming tasks very efficiently. It's also highly efficient when it comes to customer service and providing most other information that's required in a business. Machines equipped with artificial intelligence can be made to thoughtfully plan the fulfilment of tasks and accordingly adjust their parameters such as speed and time. They can be made to act quickly, unaffected by anything like emotion, and they can take the tasks and do them perfectly. The arguments against artificial intelligence really concerns ethics and moral values, and they're the things that Liesl spoke about last week. Is it ethical to create replicas of human beings? Do our moral values allow us to recreate intelligence? You know, intelligence is a gift of nature. It might not be right to install it into a machine and make it work for our benefit. I don't know. And Liesl said there was great potential for artificial intelligence to be used against us. Now, the idea of machines replacing human beings in many aspects of work sounds really great. But is it really such an exciting idea? Wholeheartedness and dedication in work and bear no existence in the world of artificial intelligence. Now, somebody mentioned to me about robots working in hospitals. Lisa last week said that they show care and concern towards the patients. So the answer to that question has got to be yes. They can provide patients with information and they can provide them with companionship and they can do so for a period of time that humans don't have available. 
it's much more difficult to employ intelligent machines in creative fields because they don't think creatively like a human because emo- humans are emotional and people think and feel and their feelings guide their thoughts and enable them to be quite creative. The increasing use of intelligent robots undoubtedly increases unemployment. This can create considerable social unrest and lead to a whole range of problems. Uh, Lisa alluded to it, um, there being a time when robots could be smarter than us. (laughs) That wouldn't be hard for most people. In the movies, we see them enslaving us and ruling the world. Is that possible? I don't know. Maybe it is. It's a pretty scary thought. In my view, there's no ideal replacement for human beings. Well, for most of them anyway. Artificial intelligence can help alleviate the difficulties faced by man, but intelligent machines can never be human. Alistair, it's a damn good question and really gives us all great food for thought. And since you've got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, and I'm really glad you have, we've sent you out a copy of Marketing Magic, which I wrote along with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson, um, the great Robert Bly, and 14 others leading marketing people in America. And uh, it's a great book, and it provides a very wide cross-section of views. I'm sure you'll love it. I hope you do. Now, last week, I bucketed both Startups Silicon Valley, which was on Bravo, got dumped in December, and Shark Tank, which I know millions and millions of people absolutely love. But I bucketed them for being superficial business programs, but really being created as entertainment. Entrepreneurs who watch either of these shows you'd end up with a totally distorted view of what it's really like to be an entrepreneur in the real world. Well, I seem to have stirred up a bit of a fuss. And surprisingly, or I guess unsurprisingly, but surprisingly to me, most of the emails I received didn't agree with me. They thought I was an idiot. Well, I was right, and I am right. And I suggest that most of the people who disagreed with me were not experienced in a experienced um, entrepreneurs at all, but were entertainment junkies. Trust me, these programs have nothing, or at least extremely little, to do with the real world of business. My next email comes from Erica Solomon of Omaha, Nebraska. Erica's email says, Dear Bob, great program. I enjoy it. My question is, do you think that Facebook's messenger will become a sub for telephone numbers. Erica, thanks for your email. Um, it's actually a pretty good question. And uh, I must, I've must i got to start off by saying that I gave up trying to predict what would happen in the future with technology a hell of a long time ago. You know, I wouldn't project, pr- try to predict what's going to happen in technology tomorrow. Now, Facebook launched a feature enabling voice messages through its me- messenger app. So it... I guess it is possible that we're not far from a time when you can talk to almost anyone, anywhere in the world, without a phone number. While Facebook Messenger is not the only voice service available, 
the fact that Facebook's got a billion user base makes it the first with the potential to truly get adoption of a program without phone numbers globally. There's no question that the way people use phone numbers is changing significantly. You know, it wasn't that long ago, only just a few years ago, when the number of mobile phone users first overtook landlines. When I think about it and look at my friends and business associates, almost no one has a landline anymore. I mean, I still have landlines. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just too lazy to change, but most people do not have landlines. And we can all speculate about what happens next, but one thing is absolutely certain. It's only a matter of time before a whole new technology that none of us sitting around listening to this program have thought about supersedes our phone system, and like all the other dramatic changes that have happened in the past 20 years, these changes will take place sooner than you think. Send your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And if you don't get my monthly newsletter, go on to bob at bobpritchard.com and we will send it to you. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come. Every week at the same time, 5 p.m. Pacific. And I hope we can give you some great information. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.